Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And we're back for, it's probably going to be the last time in my current apartment because I'm oh, yeah. moving. I was going to say, this is the final episode in the San Mateo apartment. Yeah, yeah. And um, next episode will be the first in the San Francisco apartment. Yes, you're going to be a city girl. <laughs> Again, yeah. It's been weird living in the suburbs. Not not enjoyable very much. Yeah. Um, it's been nice like being close to work, but I have not enjoyed living in the burbs. Not yeah. a burb person. I relate. I relate. Um, cool. So it is the second episode of the month. Um, and that means it's been, say, Binzi's Lynch Watch update. <laughs> we should start calling it that from now on. what I was going to say. <laughs> Binzi's Lynch Watch update. That's a tongue um, twister there. Yeah, I couldn't get it through the second time. <laughs> uh, I haven't really been watching a whole lot, to be honest, um, since the last episode, or last time we did this, um, two episodes ago, something like that. Um, I'm still watching Secession. I've just been, like, playing Sackboy a lot. Um, oh, I watched the entirety of season two of You. Season three of You. I was going to say, I thought Sorry. it was season three. Season three. Um, it's so good. Uh, so You, um, is a Netflix original, um, I believe based off of a book. Um, uh-huh. but it follows, uh, the protagonist, I guess, but he's, like, an anti-hero, like, an unlikable protagonist, um, as he, like, stalks women, um, that he, like, is obsessed with and tries to, like, infiltrate their lives, um, and, like, be their savior, but it kind of goes into, like, his childhood trauma and, like, why he is the way he is, and in season three, so in season two, he met, like, kind of his match, and in season three, it's about, like, their life together, having, mm. like, gotten married, having a kid, um, and, like, kind of what that entails for what is arguably two psychopaths in love. Um, I think it was fantastic, season three. It, like, I made Matt watch all of it, too. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you just kind of, like, stop rooting for Joe and start rooting for, like, his partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's uh, Victoria Pedretti, I believe is how you say her, Peretti. Um, she's in Haunting of Bly Manor. Mm, that's why I recognize her from yeah, photos. Pedretti. Um, and, I mean, she's just amazing um, and plays the character so well. And um, it's very much like a, at the end, it's kind of like a good for you, um, like Jennifer's body girl situation that doesn't work out the way you want it to. Um mm-hmm. And you just, like, want her to win. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the one thing I guess I binged. I watched the entire season while in bed and one day on a Sunday. Oh, wow. That is a binge watch. Yeah. Yeah, um, like 10 hours of it. The other thing, it, it so from the time, when this episode comes out compared to the time we're recording... Um, it will have been Disney Plus Day, so I'm going to be binge-watching a bunch of stuff on Disney Plus over the weekend, because they're releasing um, Shang- all the IMAX stuff, right? It, it, it's all the movies that have come out, so November 12th is Disney Plus Day, and it's going to be, um, there's a new season of The World According to Jeff Goldblum, um, there's a bunch of Marvel releases coming out. There's a bunch of previews and trailers for upcoming things coming out. So it's, uh, this weekend's going to be a big Disney weekend as well. Nice. Cool. So with that, let's get into the beer. Stephanie, what are you drinking? Yeah, so we're actually drinking two different beers from the same brewery today, which is kind of fun. Uh, it's one of our favorites that we've become adapted to now that you've been out in the Bay Area. So I am drinking Hey Narnold from Humble Sea. This is a double dry hopped West Coast IPA. Lindsay, what are you drinking? Um, so I'm drinking Jurassic Shark from Humble Sea. And this is a double dry hopped West Coast IPA um, with Admiral Malt, Strata, and Nelson hops. So uh, Hey Narnold has Botica, Chinook, and Rakao hops in it. Wait, spell the last one again. R-A-K-A-U. Yeah, that's how I would say it. Yeah. 
Um, so this one has, it says the details are Admiral Pills, Admiral Feldbloom, and Admiral Chilt, Chit, well, sorry, I don't know why I couldn't say that. Chit malt make up the grist for this crispy, dry West Coast with all California-grown barley. Heavily hopped with our hand-selected Strata from Indie Hops and our hand-selected Nelson from Hop Revolution. Where are you reading that on the can? Oh, I'm on Untapped. Oh, I'm like looking Sorry, at the I can. Was on I'm like, wow. It. And this what? is a six and a half percent um, ABU. Yeah, so ABU. this one is six point six percent ABV. Um, the details, according to the internet, are a simple, clean malt bill of domestic Pilsner malt, accompanied by our selected Chinook, Motika, and Rakao, intended to be a bright, crispy, citrus-forward. Westy pleasurable for any occasion. Yeah. That's a lot of very flowery words. <laughs> I just love this brewery. They're I so do like too. strange. Um and like the stuff that they do is just so much fun. Um Yeah, I so, I mean I'll buy like everything. <laughs> oh, I know. I I love this brewery so much. I think their blend of pop culture and beer is so um yeah. trend for like us. Because yeah, all of their then, beers like, are like pop culture references in some way or another. So yeah. we did Mr. Meeseys earlier yes. this year on an episode. Yes. Um, I just enjoy like their like romance copy on pretty much everything they release is just fun. Like their online um, personality and online like presence is just a lot of fun as well. So I just I enjoy that. Um, and like their art everything that they do is just fun and cute it's very and... playful and mm-hmm. it doesn't exactly. take their entire branding is very um it doesn't take itself too seriously yep so i think that's what part of what makes it just so much fun yeah i would agree um do you have any words for yours the three words yes so um i'm going to say orange because specifically like this tastes orangey to me and then I'm going to say soft and dry. Okay. So I'm going to say piney. Um, this has like a like a sharpness to it, but it's like a, a crispness, I think is what I'm going to call it. Crisp or bright? That's always... Yeah. It's, I think it's going to be um, piney, crisp, and then like dry as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, their I, IPAs are so good. They, they really are. Their, yeah. their West Coast IPAs, because I've obviously had the Jurassic Shark before, um, yeah. they're so good. Um, they do a yeah, really good just... job with their new their hazy styles as well. But mm-hmm. I think when they do these double dry hopped West Coast IPAs, it it's just a very, it is a dry flavor. It's so balanced. It's very it's well like, balanced. It's, it's dry. It's piney. It's resiny. This without one being is like... not resiny, which I find very interesting. It's not like well, it's got like a what I mean is like a tint of resin where it's like not super overwhelming resiny, which a lot of West Coast can be. I don't know. To um, me, so this I just think one's that they do very West Coast like really well. citrusy and soft, which is really okay. Interesting to me as it being a West Coast IPA. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about them is, so I'm drinking a lower ABV um, for them, I feel like, but they do some heavy, heavy ABV beers without it seeming super heavy. And I feel like we've talked about that before mm-hmm. and when we did them previously, but. Yeah, this one's also pretty low for what I've had from yeah. Humble Sea. Yeah, I have not had a beer I did not like from them yet at this point. Completely agree. I've been very impressed with everything I've had from them. Even when we went to their tap room, I was very yeah. impressed with everything we had. Yep. Cool. Um, so with that, let's get into the episode. Yes. Um, so I feel like this episode's kind of been like a long time. I say that every, like we say that every episode, every episode, but like we've been talking about doing this for a long time mm-hmm. since we both watched the show. Um, and like, I don't know, like, we, we float it, like, I feel like once a month, I mean, like, maybe this is the time that we start, we do this one, maybe this is the time we do it. I think the um, reason we pulled the trigger on this right now is because, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but my TikTok feed is constantly talking about this. Like, it, it go- comes and goes, and I yeah. think that's when I start floating it, like, maybe this yeah. is the time to do it, but I've been seeing it a lot lately. 
Uh, I agree. It comes and goes. I'm also, like, depressed, so <laughs> that's the other mm, reason. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> um, um, we're going to talk about Fleabag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like me saying I'm depressed should have, like, led you to Fleabag. <laughs> Honestly, um. I... If you just said that you were depressed, I'd be like, oh, we're talking about Bo Burnham's inside. Um, yeah, or like, you know, the comfort show of the depressed, which is Fleabag. That's fair. That's fair. Because you cannot watch, so I'm going to say, you can't watch the end of Fleabag without either becoming depressed or already being depressed and just like being in your feels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's get into some history. Yeah, um, I just have sure you pulled up. I don't have a ton of history on this because I wanted to focus more on the show than uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge as a person because obviously Phoebe Waller Bridge created the series based off of a um, stand-up bit that she did. So the concept for Fleabag was a stand-up storytelling show that she did originally in 2012 at the london storytelling festival but the first a full version full-fledged version of fleabag as a like as an art piece was at the uh, 2013 edinburgh uh, fringe fest which is a huge comedy festival it's probably the biggest comedy festival in the world so mm-hmm. it's, a, it's about a 10 minute solo woman performance and she just like yep. talks and like tells the story of what it ends up being season one of the Fleabag show. Yep. So that's kind of where it came from. Just, it's really interesting to see how it's evolved because um, obviously it's meant to be like a stand-up storytelling art piece and it's become this like critically acclaimed television show. Right. And like it even going further than that, it started from like, a challenge of creating a sketch for 10 minutes mm-hmm. uh, in stand-up. So it just kind of, like, evolved over time to this extremely complex character um, and complex story about complex characters. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and I don't think I... I mean, I kind of remember, but because I hadn't thought about it in a while, I kind of forgot that it's, like the entirety of the first season is summed up in this 10-minute performance. hmm And the entire storyline is... Yeah. That's a multiple-episode arc takes place in 10 minutes. Yep. So, getting into the show, um, let's just go through, like, what your first experience with it was, what made you watch it, like, how um, you kind of came came about it yeah so i can't i feel like i came to it kind of late to be totally honest and i love british tv like y'all know i'm a big old school monty python fan i'm obsessed with doctor who i like i prefer the british version of the office to the u.s version i'm just like that i love british comedy so um i'm shocked with how late i was to the fleabag game but like after season two had already concluded and it had won all those, you know, Golden Globe Awards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Steve had watched it on his own without me. Uh-huh. And then um, you and Matt were watching it. I think you were watching it with Matt. And um, I think Matt had already seen it and you were watching it for the first time. And then you were like, no, you need to watch this. And then yeah. I did. And I thought it was like, the funniest thing ever. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. And Steve was like, oh, you found this way funnier than I did. I don't know why I didn't have you watch it with me in the first place. Yeah, so um, you, like, alluded to it. I found this out, I guess, uh, twenty end of 2019 when Matt and I first started dating. Um, he told me, like, this is one of his favorite shows. Check it out. I'm, like, I'm going to love it. And so we watched, like, the first three or so episodes together. And then I went home that night. And it's a, it's a quick watch, to be honest. Like, yeah. you can watch the entire thing in a couple hours. Um, so I went home and, like, finished season one, and then the next day watched season two and was, like, devastated. Um, and that's when I was like, you need to watch this. It's fantastic. I actually got Matt for Christmas that year. Um, I bought him the, the, like, feedback book. Yeah. Yeah. The script book that has, like, an afterward, um, 
and like an analysis of like with by each, each of the actors have like a little piece of it that they write. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book is really cool because it's like it's written like the script, but then it's also got like some like little tidbits where like there's on the cover like sticky. It, it's not sticky, but like the cover has shit on it that's supposed to like semen and like just like it's supposed to look like it's her book. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, it was just a neat present, but um, a fun thing to have. I think we should also just point out for people that may not be aware for some reason, because I had no idea what the show was about going into it. Um, Fleabag is basically about a unnamed woman. She yeah. does not have a name in the show. Um, yeah, she's referred to as we like everybody refers to her as Fleabag because she doesn't have a name. Right. She and they, like they is they never, never referred to as anybody. Yeah, yeah. She she's no never name, referenced. She never no referred nothing. to. Yeah, um, and, um, and so we just call her a flea bag because yeah. of that. Um, she it's descri- she's described as a free spirited, heavily sexually active, but angry and confused young woman in London. So that's like very that's like the best way on, to sum yeah. to summarize the show. Um, very one apt. of the things that the show does really well, and I think to provide like exposition and the to better portray like the internal monologue, which I think is something that makes the show so appealing is uh, she constantly breaks the fourth wall. That's like an interesting thing because I feel like her breaking the fourth wall is also indicative of like who she is and her mental state at the time Mm -hmm. where she's like, she breaks the fourth wall, talks to us, but there are very intimate moments of her life where she like doesn't, and mm-hmm. she blocks us out. So, like, she's mm-hmm. aware that there are people watching. And it's almost, like, you can almost argue that the fourth wall represents, like, a part of her mm-hmm. that she, like, stops letting in, like, the further into something that she gets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, a uh, – I've read an art. – I've read, like, a, an analysis where she uses the fourth wall to um, represent, like, dissociating from reality. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I actually, just from my own personal experience watching it, I almost find it more relatable that she breaks the fourth wall as she's going through these things. And at me as a viewer, I feel more drawn into the series. And I, I just find it interesting that there's a comparison to her disso- dissociating from reality by doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's just an analysis I've read. I think yeah, it makes there's sense, There's so honestly, many different analysis, analyses of the show. Yeah. I think the dissociating from reality piece makes sense. If if you look at all the pieces, like the times that she like does it and then the times that she doesn't. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of analysis that could go into like the nuances of the show that like, I'm sure somebody has written like a, a thesis on it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, yeah. There's a lot of, like, intentional um, exposition in the show um, that's meant to do, or meant to, like, be deeper than it looks. And so I I do appreciate that. Like, you're meant to have a conversation about this. Yeah. Um, This show actually has quite a few pretty big actors in the UK in it. I mean... Uh, set aside Andrew Scott and all the work he's done. Like, he's yeah. done a lot. Um, yeah. Olivia Coleman is a huge actress, and she has mm-hmm. been in the UK. Um, Brett Gelman, who's an American actor um, and is, like, super famous from working on Adult Swim, plays Claire's husband. Um, yeah. There's, uh, um, what is his name? The arse, uh, not arsehole guy, um, the guy with the teeth, the bus rodent. Um, is like I I would argue an up and coming actor. I've seen him like quite a few things recently. That's like British based. Oh yeah, he's also like a a stand up comedian too, and he's gotten a lot okay. of recognition for being a stand up. So like yeah, a lot of these people. I mean the the biggest people I think in this show are Andrew Scott, Olivia Coleman, Brett Galman. Yeah, well, not his even. Sister is Natasha from What We Do in the Shadows. Yes, 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 yes. Um, But yes, yes, he's definitely, like, something up and coming. Um, But you're you're correct. Like, there is a lot of people in here that are... Very big actors. I mean, Andrew Scott has done so much shit. 
outside of Fleabag. Like, I knew him from, um, yeah, <laughs> Sherlock. So, I think it's really interesting that according to Wikipedia, Phoebe Waller Bridge, um, not to be Sia- confused with Phoebe Bridger. <laughs> Who, that, okay. That's in no, her we'll Wikipedia get into that. Article. Let's get into that later. Let's get into that later. Um, is it, I don't know how to pronounce Claire's name. Um, CN Clifford, I think, is how you maybe say it. And then Andrew Scott are billed as the main characters. And Andrew Scott's cast. only in one season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unfortunate. It is unfortunate. The show could do with a lot more Andrew Scott. <laughs> um, okay. So... I mean, we've gone into kind of, like, what the show is about, um, like, a background on it. I think maybe we should talk about, like, the cultural phenomenon behind the show and how, like, it seems like everyone and their mother has either heard or watched it or is obsessed with it. Yeah. um... It feels like a different cultural phenomenon than, like, most because it is a heavy show at times. Oh, yeah. It's... I don't know. It's that's really... it's not something that you just like watch lightly. The first yeah. season, oh, the yeah. second season isn't as heavy as the first season, but the first season, the first season is heavy. heavy. So um, uh, the first season so, heavily focuses yep. around um, obviously understanding who Fleabag is, her very narcissistic tendencies, the fact mm-hmm. that her best friend committed suicide because Fleabag was of something she did because yeah. of you know her because of her actions her best friend committed suicide um and just kind of like the outfall of all of that and how Fleabag's just like sleeping around and trying to figure it covers like almost like her her traumatic response to life via like her her sex addiction almost via due to trauma from narcissistic choices in her life um, and then, like, how she's on a downward spiral, essentially. Like, since um, Boo died, Boo, her best friend, died, mm-hmm. like, she has been on a downward spiral, just kind of ruining every relationship in her life as, like, a self-sabotaging response mm-hmm. to the trauma and, like, the depression that she's dealing with. And it follows that. And it's it's not as linked. The seasons aren't as linked, but yeah, the first season is just very heavy on topics like um, self-harm, suicide, mm-hmm. um, and it is a very heavy season to watch. And then you go into season two, where Fleabag has kind of turned around her life, has started making better choices, mm-hmm. and is still looked at as that person that's just trying to ruin everything and everyone around her and is dragging yeah. people down. When she's actually making, like, very good decisions and is trying to help people and be caring. But because of what she's done in season one, um, people just view her that way as self-sabotaging and, like, a just straight-up train wreck. Um, yeah. To a point where, like, she says that she, like, she claims to have done things or that things have happened to her that don't actually. But everyone's like, whatever, like, it makes sense. Like, you're a mess. And it's, like... She's trying to pull herself together in season two and trying to, like, actively be, like, a functioning human. And everyone's almost, like, rooting against her. hmm Yeah. But then she meets the priest who sees her. And one of my favorite things happens in season two. But um, he sees her for who she is and is, like, willing to, like, try and help her and wants her to, like, be a better version of her. And is, like, like doesn't doesn't see her the way everyone else does. And, like... My favorite thing that happens, one of my favorite things that happens, not my favorite because my favorite is your favorite probably too. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite things that happens is she breaks the fourth wall and he goes, where did you go? Yeah. Just now, where did you go? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she does it again. And he's like, you just did it again. So like he, he's the only person that's ever noticed that. And I think that's why breaking the fourth wall is a like allegory for dissociating because he sees it and he's the only person that does see it happen. Yeah. Yeah, that uh the where did you go thing I find very interesting and there's been a lot of people like talking about that that one moment in the show I think is very telling of yeah. how he <sighs> like yes. you're right like how he he is the one that sees her. Right. And that's like when I first watched it Matt pointed out that and he was like that 
I feel like that's like super important to have seen and super important to like her feelings about him is that he sees her and he's showing that he sees her. Whereas everyone else, she's everyone else is like, so Fleabag's narcissistic, but I argue everybody else in that show is narcissistic. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And it shows, this is like one of the only shows ever that show you like, like you may be the main character, but you're not the main character in everyone else's life. And him seeing her and seeing that happen shows that like, like he's the first person to see her, but because everyone else is like too busy, like wrapped up in their own shit Mm -hmm. to see like what's going on with her. No, completely agreed. Well, also, um, and I think it kind of, it, it goes pretty heavily in season one, but then you see it, I think more obvious, you see the outfall of it in season two. Um, Claire's husband is like a piece of shit person. And Claire is like very mad at Fleabag all of the time. For things that he's made. Yes. Because of things that that, uh, Claire's husband has done and blamed on Fleabag. And so like some of that, yes, she has done things, but at the same time, there's been things thrust upon her that she has been forced to take the fall for. Yes, I agree 100%. And that's, like, kind of aided to her, um, like, bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Because she has just, like, accepted. And it's I, I do still think that's, like, a factor of self-sabotage, that she just accepts that. And doesn't say, like, no, I'm not going to let that happen to me. She just thinks, like, I deserve that. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I agree. But, like, I think Martin, um, Claire's husband, is another example of, like, her trying to do what's best for the people around her and people around her, like, not accepting that she has, like, the best intention. So, like, yeah. Fleabag hates Martin for obvious reasons. Like, he tried to cheat on Claire. He's just kind of, like, a piece of shit human being. And Claire is so focused on having a perfect life that she, like, doesn't want to admit that. And another, like, huge bit of character growth is by the end, Claire is, like... No, no, we're done here. Yeah. Like, this is this is the end of the relationship. I, this, this, there's a man there that cares about me, the other Claire. Um, the that, other Claire. And I, I do think they're, ha- them having their name, the same name, have some sort of symbolism that I, I have not so figured out. I think it's so funny. I think it's so funny. There's some sort of symbolism there that I have not figured out yet. There's, like, an intention. There's, it's obviously intentional that there is, mm. that, that they have the same name. So, and I, I don't know that yet. I don't know what that means yet. Um, so, I do want to talk about the most devastating part of Fleabag. Oh, my God. You didn't even talk about, like, the good part building up to the devastating part. Okay, let's Come talk on. about, well, that's why I want to talk about the devastating <laughs> part, because the good part, like, leads into that. Yeah. So, the best part of Fleabag, probably one of the hottest scenes that, like, <laughs> like I don't even know how to explain how hot it is. Oh, my God. Just the clip. Every time I see that clip, I'm like, oh, I gotta go watch. I gotta go watch Fleabag again. Anytime that clip comes up on TikTok, I need to watch Fleabag again. Yeah. But, so... Um, so all of season two, there's like a sort of dance between Fleabag and the priest, where she has been trying to get the priest to sleep with her, mm-hmm. and the priest is obviously celibate. And even though there he's hundred percent flirting back, yes. But there is a point where she like kind of gives up. Like she's not really trying anymore. And mm-hmm. she goes to him to confess, like, all of the shit that she's done. And they're getting drunk, and, like, they go into a confessional booth. And... <laughs> go on. Um, Keep going. So, they go into a confessional booth, and, like, she's confessing her sins and confessing, like, how fucked up she is to him, and he's gone. And she's like, what the fuck? And then the the door, like, her door opens, and he just says, kneel. And I'm getting hot thinking about it. I I was going to say, I'm going to need a little burst of air in here. Um, That scene where he just says, kneel, is so erotic because it's so wrong. Like, one, he's finally giving in to her. Two, they're in a church in, like, one of the most, like, vulnerable states that she's ever been in. And he's turned on by that. And it's probably because, like, she's not ever really that vulnerable. Yep. I completely agree. And I think the vulnerability that that makes him realize that his feelings are more than just physical towards her. Right. 
And then they, right. they come out as physical actions. But I think right. when he fully sees her vulnerability is when he's like, oh, light bulb, you know. Yes. I mean, whether or not that had happened before, but I think the the state of no, her it's it's that moment is, where he's yeah. like, I can't keep resisting her anymore. Like, yeah. I I feel something for her, and like, she's showing me this part of her that she's probably never shown anybody else that I need to like reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Um. So, in that moment as well, she turns like. She goes to dissociate and then says, like, then turns the camera away and, like, you you don't get to see any of it. You don't need to. No, but that's, <laughs> I think, the interesting part yeah. is that, like, she doesn't allow you into that part. Yeah. Because she wants to be fully present. So that's the reason that, like, another, like, indication of, like, her breaking the fourth wall is dissociation is because she wants to be fully present in that yeah. moment. Um, yes. So that leads into the final episode and that is her father and her mother's best friend getting married. And the, the reason that she met the priest is because he's officiating. So this is like the aftermath episode where like they, they're both there and they're both very much like into each other. Like they like sneak out and make out and she... Um, she asks, like, who are you picking, God or me? And he doesn't answer. And then it goes into, like, the most heartbreaking scene. Um, where they're at a bus stop. And they, she says, and this, like, stays with me. Uh, and she says, I love you. And then he starts to respond. And she says, no, just let us sit there and... Just let it sit here outside for like out in the air for a moment. Um, and he says, I love you too. And then she says, it's God, isn't it? Um, and he nods and, um, she gets up and like walks away and it's, I'm like going to cry thinking about it. It's so heartbreaking in that moment. And then that's when she points at the Fox or she sees the Fox Right, you're right. So like, another, um, a, like, it's like a recurring inside joke yeah, between recurring. the two of them is that Well, he... he keeps talking about, like, foxes and how yeah. they're after him. Yeah. Um, and she finally sees the fox that he keeps, um, saying is after to. him. Yeah. Yeah. And I have read something about what the fox's symbolism is. One second, I'm looking for it. Also, um, I'm rereading a couple things of season two. They the scene, the Neil scene, is not the scene where they have sex. He like backs out. They're at the church, and then he goes to her place. Oh yeah, no, that is that. But that's yeah. the point. That is still the point where he realizes that like, oh, well, this yeah, is what I want to her... do. But then he like backs out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember now. Um, it all kind of I've blends together because about... all anyone remembers is the Neil scene. That's all you need then, to remember. Yeah. Um, so I've read like a, and it's this, it's this like theory that the fox is God because every time the fox shows up, it's a very intimate moment. Maybe like emotionally intimate or like mm-hmm. physically intimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's always been like a very intimate moment. And so I've read, like, theories where, like, the fox that he keeps seeing and that's chasing him is, like, supposed to, like, meant to represent God. And so when she sees the fox fox and says, he went that way, it's, like, her telling, like, I don't, her, her saying, like, I don't want this. Yeah. Like, he's over there. Yeah. Um, And then what I think is interesting as well is in that scene, um, in the very final scene, when she's walking away... She, like, rejects the fourth wall and rejects mm-hmm. us, the viewer, and we basically just get, like, kicked out of her head. Yeah. Yep. Because um, she looks at us and then shakes her head and then, like, we stop following. Yeah. And it's, like, that moment where she's, like, choosing to pick to, like, live in the, like, live her life and, like, no longer, like, live on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, oh my god, that final sequence is so devastating to watch. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Oh my god, it makes me so sad. It's insanely heartbreaking. But also, at the same time, I was never into Andrew Scott before this, but like I was very into Andrew Scott after this. I don't know what it is. It's like his like emotional depth, I think, a little bit of that, like mixed with like the forbidden. Yeah, I do not have and like then, a like, priest ex- thing, but like him no, as a priest, I, don't either, I have but a it's thing like for. also as like as a love story, it's so devastating and so heartbreaking that I think it just makes you like appreciate both of them more. Yeah, I agree. It's so heartbreaking. I watch it just like I feel my heart break. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm just sitting in the feeling and the reminiscing I know. It's right like, now. It's it's a tough show to watch, and like the interesting but thing, the thing is, is that season so two funny. It's it's so, it is so funny. Funny. And season but it's two so sad. is so light. Yeah. Compared to season three or season one. Season one. Yeah. That the end of season two is like a shock because you do fully expect like at the wedding that he's going to leave the church. They're going to be happy. Yeah. You think it's going to happen. And then you get to the bus stop and he meets her there. Yeah. And it's just like the last like maybe I think it's like five minutes maybe. Yeah. It's a fairly long sequence of you just sitting in the feeling like like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. And you don't expect it. Like, you you truly think that because he gave that up, he was picking her. He was not. Yeah, it makes me mad to think about. (laughs) I just wanted her to be happy. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that's so painful with season two in particular is because she is dealing with the consequences of her own actions so heavily in season one and it, like, weighing on her. Yeah. And then with her trying to get better and be a better person in season two for her to like just get struck down at the end like oh my god but i also think that like it's it's especially heartbreaking because it is so human that yeah. kind of disappointment like it's it's so real because of that because like there are too many times like in too many movies where like things are are happy at the end yeah, it's a happy ending and it's unrealistic and it's just it's it's realistic to what would have happened in that situation. Yeah. It's yeah. realistic to like what you would have experienced. Like, yes, you're pulling your life around, but it doesn't mean that you're going to like everything's going to be good. Yeah. Everything's going to be like hunky dory and happy. Like there's you're still going to deal with heartbreak. And I think the main thing to take away from that is the way that she dealt with that like devastating blow. Like we're all devastated for her. Imagine what she's feeling. And then like she turns around and is like gonna brush it off is is deciding to like not allow us in anymore and is yeah like choosing herself yeah and that i think that's the main thing to take away is that like at the end of the day she still picked her instead of letting it like just fester and wallow okay so i'm reading like a, a vulture article about um the diso- the like the, the dissociating in the fourth wall Mm-hmm. And it basically, like, um, it says that, like, her dissociating and breaking the fourth wall is, like, having a relationship with us. And so mm-hmm. when the priest catches her dissociating, it feels like an intrusion in your relationship with Fleabag. Mm-hmm. And it says, um, by the time he starts doing it, we've been a couple for so long, a dysfunctional pairing of speaker and observer. But now the priest has entered our relationship, barged in where no one asked him to be. Our, flea, our relationship with Fleabag has a third person in it now, and it's a lopsided, poorly communicating, painfully raw triangle of shared knowledge, humor, and need. Oof. And I think it's also, I would maybe argue a way to, like, comment on society's, like, need to watch people. Mm-hmm. And, like, like like trauma porn almost like where like you want to see things happening to other people but you don't want to deal with like things in your own life oh my god (laughs) wow they also end the article saying 
one of the reasons that the ending is so crushing is because like when she turns around and like shakes her head and we don't follow her it's like she breaks up with us yeah yeah um so it's like a double blow yeah vulture nobody told you to go so hard in this article i was gonna say man vulture i was not prepared for this damn oh i'm actually so i'm reading an article from nme and they're comparing the difference between the scenes where uh claire is ordered to kneel by martin her husband to the scene where the priest tells fleabag to kneel because Martin is a selfish man who feels entitled to love without earning it. And obviously that's very different from the dynamic between Fleabag and the priest. Yeah. That's interesting. A good juxtaposition. Yeah. I completely forgot that that's a scene in... I also forgot that. So I just thought that was an interesting comparison because like we talk so much about the scene with the priest that yeah. we kind of overlook the fact that it's meant to juxtapose the dynamic between mm-hmm. the relationship between Martin and Claire, even though we know the relationship between Martin and Claire is bad. Like right. Martin it's meant to like show tries like to kiss Fleabag. Like, yeah, it's meant to flip that on its head. Yeah. God, it's so, it's such a good show. So it's well so witty and like the way that phoebe put yeah, the whole thing together and, like, just i think not it's just, just so well written it's so like well written and deep that like your first watch through you don't like really realize how deep it is until like you watch it again then you like start to catch these mm-hmm. nuances and then like realize that like so much everything that she did in this was intentional every yeah. like every little like nuance in here was intentional to give the characters more meaning and more depth so when I say witty to describe the show, that's kind of what I mean. Is that yeah, it's very yeah. I mean, intentional even like, about the way she put it together. Right. But it is also very funny. And like it is witty as well in that regard. There's a little bit of fleabag in all of us. So you saying that actually is why it's really interesting and I think that's part of why we're talking about this today. So my TikTok feed is a bunch of people saying they're going through their tick their flea bag era. And I was like, what does okay, that mean? All, you're not going through your flea did your best friend kill yourself because of something you did? No, then you're not going through your flea bag era. Um I <laughs> my, the first thing I thought was I was like, oh, so you're a narcissistic sex right. addict. Is that what what you are or I've are you are you going like, after a priest which one i've seen a lot of responses to that where like it's a lot of 20 year olds saying that you're going like i'm going through my flea bag era and it's like okay well like flea bag's 30 plus yeah like you're not going through your flea bag era until you've hit rock bottom and like dead end career like nothing's going well for you and you don't have an opportunity to ch- turn it around um until you make an opportunity for yourself like mm-hmm. when you're 20 like you still got shit like you can do when you're 30 it feels hopeless Yeah, and you actually and think using that, the like, word hopeless to describe the feeling. And like, I think that's the feeling that we feel as the audience watching the show. I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but you just using the word hopeless really, like, just, like, clicked something in my brain. Yeah, I mean, it also, like, pulls on the strings of control. So, like, you're out of control, you're watching this happen, so you do feel hopeless. Because, like, it makes you feel like you don't have control the way that it's shot yeah you're just watching it happen and it's because it's so um because there's so much fourth wall breakage that it involves you and you feel like a personal relationship it makes you feel even less in control and that like makes you feel even more hopeless yeah yeah and that's like the reason i think she's so relatable as a character because it's like you may not relate to exactly what she's going through, but you relate to, like, the emotions that she's feeling and, like, the things that she is doing to herself. Like, you you can relate to the negativity and then, like, the positives of, like, trying to fix things and trying to, like, be better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
And that's, I think, maybe why it's a comfort show for me is because, like, I, I feel like anyone that's gone through depression can, like, recognize that in Fleabag. And it's, like, hopeful. It, it's You feel, like, hopelessness, but you feel hopeful in the beginning of the second season where she starts to, like, pull things together and, like, be a better person. So, like, I feel like for the first season is, like, the epitome of being, like, hopeless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the second season, there's, like, this lightness and, like, you're hopeful that she's going to be able to, like, pull it together and be better and feel better. And then, she I mean, she is at the end. It's still heartbreaking, but, I, like, I, I think that that's the main thing to take from it, as I mentioned earlier, is that, like, that feeling of hopefulness doesn't really go away because she has been dealt a devastating blow and is still managing to recover from it. Yeah. Yeah. Big sad. <laughs> it is big sad. It's a big sad. Uh, thinking of big sad with this, I want to go back to the the Phoebe Bridgers thing. Okay, I'm not the only person. I've gotten TikToks about it. I, I see all kinds. I send you so many TikToks about um, it. So you have referred to Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge in like things and been like, oh, she's writing this. And I've been like, really? Why? And you're like, well, why not? Um, like, she's amazing. And I, it takes me like, literally, like, I have to double, I have to like double think about it. Um, double take it all the time to be like, oh no, Phoebe Waller Bridge, not Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And if you go on Phoebe Waller Bridge um, on her Wikipedia page, it says not to be confused with Phoebe Bridgers is the first thing that comes up. It's because they're both big sad. They're <laughs> both their big names sad. are too similar. Um, How can two people with such similar names be such big sad? I see a lot of TikToks that are like, what do you mean Phoebe Bridgers didn't write Fleabag? <laughs> <laughs> I would argue, what do you mean Phoebe Waller-Bridge didn't write motion sickness? I mean, yeah. No, that's the that's the camp I'm in. That's the camp I'm in. I also don't really care about Phoebe Bridgers, but that's eh. not motion sickness. That's a big sad. Yeah. Well, you like better batter cake batter <laughs> whatever the fuck. I do like, well, you like better batter cake I batter. I do too. I do too. <laughs> better batter Oreo cookie batter. <laughs> Better Oblivion Community Center. We just come up with whatever the fuck names we can for that band. It's because of like this meme that was like, it was a photo of like a ice cream, wasn't it? And it was yeah. Like, Isn't that the Connor Obers Phoebe Bridgers? I like, oh, I love Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like Fleabag is just so deep. Yeah. Um, as a show, like I could, I feel like could get drunk and discuss it, like, all day. And, like, every watch through, like, reveals something different to me, regardless if I'm watching it to, like, be my feels or, like, to feel that little bit of glimmer when, like, you think that he's going to pick her. Yeah, I mean, I also, I think the whole, beyond, like, the relationship between uh, the priest and Fleabag, Fleabag's relationship with her family is what I think I find also just as painful and heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time. Because yeah. Olivia Coleman as her stepmother is hilarious. She's like this well, crazy artist, but she also, also is like, their godmother. It like tingle. It like tinges on never being good enough. So yeah. like there's a sibling that you're like in a rivalry with, but she's yeah. not actually in a rivalry with, with Claire. Claire. No, she's not. She wants Claire to have the um the spotlight, and Claire like doesn't even really want the spotlight. No, she doesn't. Claire just wants to be like good. And Fleabag like it, it's like this the Claire just wants relatable. to be happy and sibling, she's not. If you have a sibling, it's a very relatable like line where it's like you want the attention but you think the other person's getting the attention and it's always like you both feel that way like claire feels like fleabag gets the attention because she's such a mess whereas like fleabag feels like claire gets the attention because she's not but like really neither of them are getting the attention because the parents are so self-involved yeah well her 
dad and stepmom because her mom is dead. Right. Well, yeah. And, like, her dad also isn't, like, really self-involved. He's just, like, this very complicated person that is quiet and, like, doesn't talk and... Yeah, and then her 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 dad's whole thing that is kind of concerning, and I know it's to Fleabag and Claire, is that I don't even know Olivia Coleman's character's name, but that's their godmother. They just referred to her as godmother. Okay, so then she does not have a name. Um, no, yeah, but I think they just referred to her as godmother. That's their godmother, and their mom dies, and he shacks up with their godmother. Like... And they've been together for a long time at this point. Yeah. But it happened, like, weeks after the mother died. Yeah, yeah. And then I also, I, I just was thinking about the, the when their mother died um, earlier today and how when Fleabag shows up to the funeral and everyone just tells her how amazing she looks. And that's that whole... Um, like not feeling like you fit in thing and like feeling like you're in the wrong situation constantly and you're not you're not right for the situation. Right. And that's that's part of the depression thing, I think, a little bit. Yeah, and, and like, like she tries to look like she's unhappy and yeah. she is unhappy and she like they try to like mess up her hair and like it makes it worse and they try to mix up mess up her makeup and like yeah, I totally get it. It's that it's that feeling of like and I feel this a lot too, where like when you go through grief, like you're not it's this feeling of, like, not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. And, like, not showing it and people thinking that, like, you're not feeling a way, even though you're dealing with it the way that you know best, like, yeah. in your own way. And it's, I think it's a very much, like, a shared experience that everyone has with grief where, like, everyone deals with it in their own way. Yep. And by pointing out that she looks like she's fantastic, it's almost, like, alienating her. Even further. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, well, the way I interpreted it was not even in relation to grief itself, but it's like that feeling of like, I, you know, I'm not right for the situation. I feel it's the alienation. Yeah. It's, it's like this dark underbelly of society where like people like her, like flee to because they feel like they don't exist properly in society. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of where her sex addiction comes in. It's like this dark underbelly that people experience, but like you don't fit in with society because it's not society like socially acceptable and that's like where she exists in this like frame of life that is not socially acceptable mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's like arguably where the priest also exists because he's an alcoholic priest yeah he's an alcoholic priest and he i think that's the reason that he gets her so well is because he exists in this like underbelly where like he has this facade that he puts on for everyone else but he shows her that, like, he also falls into that, like, realm of not being a socially acceptable person. Yeah, because he smokes and he drinks and, like, that's not acceptable. And he says socially and, for... like, Oh, yeah. 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 And I think yeah. that's the reason that, like, she connects with him so well. Oh, 100%. God, I love this show. It's so, like, like I said, like... You can dig into pretty much every aspect like, of it, yeah. decision, every like character choice, and find a deeper meaning to it because it's it's so well thought out. Yeah, oh. and it and then there's like, also like the relationship that Fleabag has with Harry, her boyfriend yeah. at the beginning of season one. Yeah. Like she always feels as though he's always going to come back to her, and then he very clearly is like so heartbroken about like having to like finally cut ties and then she runs into him later and he's like happy yeah he's happy with someone else yeah yeah i think it's interesting too that you bring up harry because the reason they break up is because she was like masturbating Mm -hmm. and i think it's like very much a view i think it's a commentary on the way like society thinks of women as in like you have to be virtuous. You cannot, like, look... You can't go for anything that you want. Right. So, like, she's masturbating because, like, she wants to. Like, it's female pleasure, but it's Absolutely. taboo. And he has a problem with that. He has a problem with, like, the fact that she's masturbating. And, like, I have a problem with the fact that, like, that's an issue. I Because, like, I, I, I think it's very interesting that, like, when women are in relationships, they're expected to, like, 
get everything they want out of that relationship and like they can't find things like outside of it um as in like you can't masturbate you can't have like emotional like like depth with other people like your friends i think that like the idea of needing to get everything out of a relationship it just means that a relationship is doomed for failure that's an entire societal problem like right but i think that's kind of what the show goes into is that there are these people like most people in the show are like subjects of society yeah and then like like i said where she exists is outside of like the society and like it's actually like ultimately a happier place but because society rejects her she's miserable Mm. man you're just ripping me open and (laughs) exposing my oh man feel so exposed talking about this with you <laughs> i feel like this happens a lot when we like start to really analyze things well especially things of this type of nature too yeah but like no i don't think she was in the wrong for masturbating while in a relationship absolutely not who cares like that's i think that should be like absolutely like encouraged and welcomed if you don't want to have sex with you like who should if you can't look if you can't have sex with your hel- with yourself, how are you gonna have sex with somebody else? Can I get a any man? <laughs> I think that that's just like a very interesting relationship where he expected something out of her that she was not able to provide. Yeah, because she's not that person, right? But it was also a very toxic relationship. So like when oh, he absolutely. chose, when he like left for good and it was done. It was, like, the fi- one of, like, the final straws where she was, like, fuck. But then she was okay. And it's, like, it's very it's very much how you feel in a relationship where, like, you always think that person's going to be there if you're the one that, like, you know, chooses to leave. Or even if you're not, like, you still think that person's going to be there. And it's very much, like, a devastating blow. But, like, you always come out the other end. Yeah. There's a part of me that really wants, like, a season three. I know that's not going to happen. But There's like, not going to be a season three. No, I know. I just, like, want more. I think that's what it is. Yeah. And then that's, I, like, a, that's, like, a society thing again. Like, they end it at a part that's like, feels like it's not concluded. Yeah. Because, like, they don't want to give you the gratification of, like, seeing the happiness. Yeah, because she didn't end up happy, I completely agree. Like, it... It feels as though the show is not done. However, it is. So. Yeah. That's just us not being used to not having a happy ending. Right. And I think, again, commentary. Phoebe Waller-Bridge has said, like, it's not coming back. And, like, she's quoted as saying, I think we have to let her go. She's exhausted. She's been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I totally get it. She wants to move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, but I think that, like, also it makes sense, like, for the show to end there. Like, yes, I want some, like, gratification of, like, her being happy. But also, like, the show wouldn't be the show if it ended that way. Like, yeah. I think the reason no, you keep coming I back agree. to it is because it's it's just so addictive because it's, like so real mm-hmm. feeds into the trauma okay so i think that like covers or i think that's probably as much as we can get into for fleabag without like crying. going super super deep and crying and, yeah. um, we're gonna just be tears for the rest of the episode so i think yeah that's a good think, time to end it i think so too um if you haven't watched fleabag please go check it out it is it's on one amazon of my prime in the u.s yep. it's on BB- bbc3 in the uk um, it's a fantastic show, probably one of like my favorite and one of the best shows that have been written. Um, so if you haven't watched it, go check it out. Um, but yeah, I think that covers it. Yeah. So with that, um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. I know that we're both on the verge of tears, so we did enjoy this episode. <laughs> we did. 
Uh, please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five-star rating. If you're feeling extra saucy, you can go write us a review. And if you don't want to write us a review, reach out to us. If you listen through our song that we'll play next, uh, you'll hear all of our social media handles and you can talk to us there. Uh, we love talking to you guys. And if you talk to us, we will talk back. So, yeah. Is there anything else I'm supposed to say? No, I think that's everything. <laughs> I feel like I forget every time. No, I think it covers it. All right. Bye, guys. All right. See you guys next time. All right. That was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No and. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.